Okay, how's it all be tonight? Do you want everybody to support us tonight, don't we? Everybody is playing the blue side or players can. Oh, is it? Oh, Well, it's good to see us. Our last thing was before. Christmas. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it was a smart count. Some folk was aware. We discussed uh, the representation for them that was yeah. Well, only you missed it. How uh, before God's eyes, there's two representatives for humanity, either in Adam or in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we spoke about it was never being Adam, mm -hmm. but before God's eyes, being in Christ. But we're changing gears. The night again, this is maybe some folks' first night, so it's okay. If you had been here before, they would probably stand alone anyway. So I'm working through Romans. Romans chapter 1 to 5 was to do with justification. So that's for you who've learned. If you've been here for the last so many weeks, we have touched on bit by bit. Fed is to hear Jesus Christ is our justification. Jesus on the cross. How... We spoke about how Paul lost us and when we was our sinners, our like sheep have went astray. But apart from good works, and he picks out Abraham and examples of Abraham, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And we look to the cross and we thank God for his precious blood that now there is no condemnation. And if we believe in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, then we'll forever be his. A salvation that is made secure through the blood of Jesus, justified. We spoke about a number of lessons ago, how he didn't just cancel our debts, cancel our debt of sin before a holy God, that he paid our debt in full. He didn't just be the bank manager that scored through the mortgage and said, that's how you then you come back. Well, that would have been good news, wouldn't it? If a mortgage advisor was just this other, the, the, the bank would just say, okay, no more mortgage to be paid. We would have said that would be good news. But in fact, the bank manager says, I'm going to pay the rest of the debt that's on your balance. And so, wow, he deserves a thank you. So we're changing for justification to this word, and it's for chapter 6 to 8, sanctification. Sounds a really, really fancy word. So if we think justification is Christ on the cross, sanctification is Christ in the heart. So he comes off the cross, and far is he now? He's in our heart. In sanctification, we could say that we become more like Jesus. The actual, I was listening to a commentary on this, and I quite like this. He like in sanctification, it's when you use something for its proper use. So, see that pen you're writing with? Mm -hmm. So, as you are writing, you've sanctified the pen. So now using it for its proper use. If you have to use it as a doorstop, it's no longer sanctified. Because it's near being used for its created for sanctification. So now that we are justified, how do we live for Jesus? Properly. 
And for chapter 9 to 13, and we'll probably get there in the year 2027, is <laughs> <laughs> glorification. Jesus in heaven. So, and there's a scripture out there that the, the day of salvation is closer now than it was when we first believed. So if we think, 1 to 5, Christ on the cross. 6 to 8, Christ in our heart. 9 to 13, Christ in heaven. And then it goes on to, okay, you've got Christ on the cross, Christ in our heart, Christ in heaven, the glorified Saviour. What will your life look like? And it's, it kicks on after that. So this evening, for 6 to 8, I'm going to get a bird's eye view of chapter 6. And it's to do with this word that is Scottish-like freedom. It's says time and time again, if you went through 6 to 8, freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. It speaks about the battle that we engage for victory. For this, how do we obtain the victorious Christ life? To be free for these things that old man, which was the life that we had before we met Jesus, a life that was against God, that was dead, a life controlled by the power of sin how do we live a life free for the power of sin and legalism as well there is literally hundreds of books written about how to be free in Jesus five keys to be free it says that the number one googled uh, question is is there a God I think Probably the number one question for Christians is, how do I live free? In this world so full of sin and confusion, we set our path. Jesus' words, we're saved, we're justified. How do I live for Jesus? I just want to live for Jesus. Has anybody ever felt like that? Mm-hmm. Not just me. And my, since I got saved in 2002, how do I live a life Fully for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of books. So, what you are never going to give this evening is Kevin's five keys to living in freedom. <laughs> you can Google books that will explain it better. And I'd expect us to go through this and for you to leave here and think, that's it, I've found the keys and I will never sin again. Okay? So what we're going to look for is just we're going to try and steer close to Scripture. And we're going to just come as children and see what God says through His Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, on this subject is a foundation. This is a foundation. Chapter 6 is just a foundation. It's just so the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, like, this is the first thing you need to realise. He's not answering every single question that you might have about generational curses, about your mom's habits and how it affected you, about how anxiety works, things like that. He's not answering every question. He's just saying, this is foundational. 
Before I start, I'll give you a few theories on different other people's and different denominations' opinion on the battle of the Christian life. When I was studying this, I was reading uh, R.C. Sproul's commentary on Romans. He is a million times more brainier than me. We, every theory, I'm not going to say whether I agree on them or not. I'm just going to tell you that's is what some folk believe. So R.C. Sproul, and that's thing to do with freedom and battle and victory over sin, he believes, and as many others do, in this term called perfectionism. That when sanctification is fully developed in your life, you have the capacity as a human on earth to live a life perfect. Nay, to be net sin. So you could go through a day, go through a week, go through a month, and you have been so perfected that you no longer battle with sin. Far wishes that was true. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectionism, you can Google it, it's, it's, it's a thing. Right, that's Archie's problem. I, I glean some stuff in him, but okay. Uh, the other end is this. It's probably more that I was used to in Teen Challenge. The illustration that you have two dogs living within you. You have a good dog that is gentle, that is kind, that's the Holy Spirit. That is generous, that is loving. And you have another dog living within you, that's angry, that's sinful, that's lustful, that's greedy, and there's just two dogs. So this is why we to it. It's those two dogs living within you, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> one good and one bad. And whatever dog you feed will win. So if you feed the bad dog by watching bad things and get involved in bad things, the bad dog will overcome the good dog and then you will, um, your mannerisms and character will be bad. Okay? But if you, through your prayers and your devotion and your tithes, feed the good dog, then <laughs> the good dog, because you obey and you're feeding the good dog, it will overcome the bad dog. If it will be on display, it's the fruit of the good dog. Only held on to like that before. If ever you feed, will win. Okay? So that's what I was, was told. The other end, from the other side of the spectrum, as we're going to do, is that you will just always be burdened by sin. That's our thinking. That it doesn't matter what dog you feed. I wish perfectionism was true, I understand the two dogs, and, uh, but that's a thinking, that you, when you live this life on earth, you will always just be in a battle. Get used to it, because we're going to come to uh, Romans chapter 9 eventually, and ah, our dogs, and ah, growls and ah, sin will be done away with and we'll be in heaven. You've just got to grin and bear it and get through it. So that's the three sort of theories that people hear. Again, <coughs> when we go through us, I'm not, we're, just, we're going to read it and then we'll, we'll go back. Again, this is not 
this is now, now Kevin's theory. We're going to look at Romans 6, we'll pick out a few things to deal with this, different lessons, and I'll just tell you what the Bible says, and we'll here, think about that, okay? So the oracle is back, that's Margaret, for the, the oracle is the voice of God, so she's going to read Romans 6, and that'll give me a little bit of time to think where I'm going next. Chapter 6, Sin's Power is Broken. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptised to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he, wa as he was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and be unable to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace, freedom to obey God. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. I speak this way using the illustrations of slaves and masters, because it's easy to understand. Before you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness, now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. In those days when you were slaves of sin, you weren't concerned with doing what was right. And what was the result? It was not good. Since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If you could read uh, chapter 7, 1 to 6 as well. No longer, chapter 7, no longer bound to the law. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only to a person who is still living? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he alive. He is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she should be she should she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So this is the point. The law no longer holds you in its power because you died to, the, to its power when you died with Christ on the cross. And you, now you are re- reunited, no, now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce good fruit that is, good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died with Christ and we are no longer captive to his power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the Spirit. Go ahead, there. Because we just read that, I think I'll actually start there, maybe work back. I love that illustration, the chapter 7, 1 to 6, because it, it speaks about a reality that we were in a marriage, and it's to do with legalism. If I was to ask you, this is why we've got to, this is why Bible study is good, but is, is legalism for you? You might get a picture on your head that legalism is, and until you understand that legalism is, you're not going to understand fairs to be set free for legalism. Is that fair to say? <laughs> and I think, I think millions of Christians have really no idea that legalism is. The power of legalism, the spirit of religion, with a little bit of idea, and even a little bit of idea, I'm not sure if I've got right. If I was to say, describe a legalist person, um, we'd get a variety of answers. And I think even Jesus brought grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. We have to get grace and truth. And sometimes I get the impression that <coughs> born-again Pentecostal Christians look at people that are more careful than them and think they're legalists when actually they're not. I'm going to mark us sort of up-to-date real so you can find one about. So, um, now, I use a few examples. I'm not going to say whether I think they're right or whether I think their actions are wrong, but I'm going to tell you them so you can exactly find how people protest certain people as legalists just because they don't want to do a few things. Right, so as a Christian, 
Once that Christian guys, gone to see our rock band, Oasis. <laughs> and they ask somebody, do you want to come along? Right? And they say, listen, Oasis is good or bad. I'm just saying that a bunch of grace-filled Jesus followers have got tickets to see them. And they approach our Christian Paul and say, look, we're gone. We've got tickets. We could get you a ticket. Do you want to go? Now, if the Paul thinks before God, there's a scripture that says, why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? Feels as though before the Lord that got to that concert was just there for them. And they say, can something, and if you ever say no to anybody to do stuff like this, you do not owe an explanation. If you just feel, I'm not going to go. To your Christian pals, they might say, he's a legalist. Pharisee. We live by grace. We've been set free for Nadian stuff. So we can de-stuff. Is that fair? I would say some mess folk would see legalism is. It's just somebody that would say, that's not for me. As generations have gone by, different things become now acceptable for Christians. That 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, would have just been no. Another example, uh, I'm going to say if you do, you're wrong or you're right. I'm just saying another example. Lucky squares in the bingo. <laughs> is that Elam denomination that is still written into our uh, rules and regulations that within this building, there's no matter of people here in soup and sweets, and for good causes. We cannot do luck. We cannot, well, we're not allowed to do lucky squares, lucky charms, cash, for a chance or a big reward. The thinking was you trust God. <coughs> so, if a Christian thinks, good cause, lucky squares, let's go for it. And then ask a Christian brother or sister, will you buy a lucky square? And this Christian brother and sister is like, well actually I'll just donate money. I'm just not going to go for the chance. Seems a bit like Darnley, I'm just not going to do it. It's a no. How is the person that said no then going to look? Like a legalist. Is that true? Or am I speaking a foreign language? Yeah. Look like, oh, it's about like a Pharisee, isn't it? We've been set free for the no so that we can be free to pretend in different things. I think that would be most people's view. Them that say no to certain things, spirit of Pharisee. Got to say yes, Abdias is doing it. But Jesus brought grace and truth. We have got to care for legalism is before we're ever going to get an idea of how we're going to be set free for. Um, I'm going to go to the NLT. You maybe need a minute to find this in. Titus, that well known book. Chapter 2, 11 to 12. We've got to see how grace leads to holiness. Oh, you've got it. Bye bye. <laughs> Titus 2, 11 and 12. Right, they do. 
For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Okay, very slowly. Grace has been revealed, bring in, who was the last? Salvation to all people. Aye. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Okay, so sometimes we look at careful people and just think, <coughs> oh, they're legalists. They're doing tax returns, right? How legalistic of them. <laughs> <laughs> but when grace is revealed, there'll be a change of life that goes away through worldly pleasures, mm -hmm. that will be careful. That's what grace brings. So grace and legalism kind of be the same thing. So if it is legalism, I kind of just dying for me to actually just get to the point and tell us. <laughs> the best example written for, for me, and I'm not asking you to read it out, is Paul in Philippians. In his chapter 3, 1 to 11, if you're taking notes. He's given reasons for his righteousness. He starts listing. This is why I could have been seen as good. He starts giving his history and how he's passionate for the law. And he had his own righteousness. He used to de-letter the, the law to the very minute. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And then he says, I consider it a rubbish for the sake I know in Christ. But it is legalism. Can you see? And it's in Matthew Finn, Jesus encounters the Pharisees and says, Woe to you, you're like whitewashed tombs. Like outwardly, you just the asking right, but inwardly, you're like dead men's bones. Woe is you, seven woes, woe is you. All things outward, there's no inward change. If it is legalism, it's relying on you to do God's job. It's putting us at the centre and saying, well, I'm good and because of my deeds, I'm righteous and I'm good living. It's obtaining a righteousness through you. <coughs> Grace is knowing that Christ is your righteousness and he will empower you in following him to live a godly life. It's the root. We're addicted to the fruit we are eyes. We see if the people's dean, if they're near dean, and spur our Pharisee, look at them, da 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 da. But somebody could be saying, no, they're so full of grace. God is empowering them. They're living for Jesus, and the no is easy, and the yes is easy as well. The things we should be doing, the kind things, the generous things, the mission work. The evangelism work, empowered by grace. And legalism, they're, they're at war. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Look, you know the word, you tithe, you do that. Yet I stand before you, and you didn't even recognize me. The Messiah, the one that you've opened uh, to, to save, this, I'm, I'm here. You didn't even recognize me, yet you know the word. Legalism is trusting ourselves. Why have I got to explain that? Because Paul said, we was in a marriage. 
to do with righteous living and was married to this legalistic attitude that was bound by and he, and he likens it to a marriage was in a relationship but says somebody died Christ died the only way to save our marriage we couldn't have been married to legalism and be married to Jesus he says the only way so no adultery was taking place that somebody had to die to save our marriage he says that Christ died to save our marriage between us and legalism but we're now alone we married Jesus. And he says that legalistic, boring spirit that would control you, you're, you're dead to that. Now you're in a love relationship. Song of songs. You're, you're dead to dead works. You're now in a love, a real life love relationship, a spiritual love between you and Jesus. I love that. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And I can't have explained it with you. Yes. Your deed to deed works. I'll be up for a bit of English. Your dead to dead works. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a done deal. Christ died. The marriage is severed. Yeah. You're joined to Jesus. To hear a, a romance, a hear a love, to have freedom with, and he'll change your life so that Titus becomes a reality. You know, say no to the things you need to say no and say yes to the things you need to say yes to. Okay, how am I doing for time? Football almost started, right? <laughs> oh, little nap on. Right, for verse 1 to 14, it's about the old man. That dead in transgressions life. They say if, uh, if you got caught murdering somebody, I think it was back in the Roman times, maybe Victorian times, I'm not great with history. If you was caught, they would tie the dead person to your body. Oh, yeah. You heard that so far? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't end there. Now only if you drag a dead body, they used to tie it arm to arm, leg to leg, body to body. Now only if you drag that dead body, if it is a body decomposed. Slowly you decompose as a body. Somebody likened that to the old man of the Christian life. That the old man that was anti-God, an unbeliever, we can sometimes still carry it and it affects our life slowly, decaying us. Well, here look at us in greater deal. 15 to 23 is a power of sin in our life. We all want to be free for the power of a sin. It speaks about being a master and a slave. Does sin still, even as a son for God, does sin still have mastery, mastery over you? Sin should not be your master. God's your master. Deeds of unrighteousness should not be your master. Deeds of righteousness should be. <coughs> The question is always though, how do we get out? Got to read from verse 3. We'll just have a look at a few scriptures. Verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized, you underline and you highlight Bibles, you can underline baptized, into Christ Jesus were baptized. Into his death, 
You wee man, Margaret? No. You're looking confused. Church, that is it. Chapter 6, verse 3. Oh, sorry, As many of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death. There's a few thinkings with this that is to do with your actual water baptism. That at that point, something happened in the spirit realm. Um, but whether it's water baptism or not, you need to understand this. He's not just on about going through water. Baptism is to do with immersion and identification. That when you're baptised in water, you're immersed in fit. H2O. Water. water. <laughs> you're immersed. And as an identification when we go through waters of baptism, we identify with the burial of Jesus. The death and the burial of Jesus, we're identifying with him. So that when we come up through the water, we're identifying in his resurrection. So he was raised for the dead, so was we. So he's saying that you are immersed into Christ Jesus. And you are immersed into his death. That's a statement of fact. He's not saying you will receive us through faith and through fasting and prayer. He's saying, when you got saved, you was immersed in Christ Jesus. Immersed and identified in his death. Then it says us. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay. Verse 4 says... We were buried. We, nay, we will be buried. Nay, we'll one day be buried. The statement of fact. Maybe need a better pen. So in God's eyes, we... <laughs> we were buried and the result is newness of life so past tense because we're baptised we're immersed into Christ into his death in God's eyes, to deal with the old man, buried. We were buried. The old man was buried. Near the old man is going to be buried if you pray hard enough. It's just a statement of fact. He, the old man, the anti-God, the person before we was, before Jesus, Buried, and because we were buried, to experience 
newness of life. 15 to 23 describes power over sin. I don't know, I'm there yet. It would be very helpful if I could read my own writing. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> right, okay. Verse 6. Knowing this, that all man. Does it say after that? Was crucified. Was crucified. Was crucified. With him. All man was crucified with him, and the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer. Slaves. There's overlaps here as well. No longer. Be slaves. Slaves. So because the old man was crucified, we are no longer slaves. Verse 8. Now if we died... Are we going to die, or have we already died? We died. With Christ, we believe that we shall also... We now live. Verse 11, likewise you also reckon yourself to be dead to sin. We are dead to sin. You'd say the power of sin. We are dead to sin, but alive, but alive mm -hmm. to God in Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin. That's not my theology. That's not my book. It says we are dead to sin. And we're alive to God. I'll fire through this. Verse 18. Does it say we will be set free? Or does it say we are free? Being set free. And it says, to a, and you will become, because you've been set free for sin, sin you'll become slaves to righteousness. Right, this is an absolutely new order right now, okay? Not a pen on the board. I need a bigger board. Did I watch? Oh, okay, should have. Too wet. Never mind jazz, for the last jazz, we need a bigger boat. I need a bigger board. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 22. Oh, I will do that over. No, here. No. Now having. To what? Free, free from the power. Not before that. Now having. Now being set free. Being set free. Ah, you need to get a new King James, folks. You're <laughs> being left behind. <laughs> That's what you do, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have 
your fruit. So you will bear fruit. Have fruit. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. You have fruit. Holiness, eternal life, and the end, everlasting life. Okay? Power of legalism, chapter 7, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Does it say you will be delivered? I'm not questioning on these deliverance minister here, okay? This is how I get some of I'm just a Bible teacher. <laughs> Free to argue with the elders, but. Uh, I only know I did probably agree with my either. Close the freedom center. Right. Having been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, we should serve in the newness of the spirit. So you've been delivered, serve. Ah, that was crucified. The, the past tense things. We died. We are dead to sin. You've been delivered. You've been set free. Is ah because we identify and we're immersed into Jesus. Justified with substitute. That Christ was our substitute on the cross. And we identified with his death. But we didn't stop there, that we also identify in his burial, which deals with the old man. And we also identify in his coming out the grave, resurrection, into new life. As you read this, like me, you think, that's true, that's a statement of facts, was crucified, it's good theology, but fat about a reality. Mm -hmm. that, that's what we're trying to look at, isn't it? Because okay. this doesn't describe me. Because I still feel very much alive to son, to the old man, to the power of legalism, to the power of sin. This is a foundation, is that if we look at us, we need a lot of faith to say that does, that should describe me. I want it to describe me. But actually, it doesn't describe you yet. It describes Christ. It's saying you, you, he died. You're baptised into him. You're immersed in him. If I say to you, Jesus is free for the old man, would you just say it's a simply true? You don't need much here to say, well, that is, Jesus is free for the old man. Aye, that's true. Yeah. If you was to say, Jesus, in conquering the grave and resurrection power, we can easily see that he, the power of sin, has got nothing on him. Yeah. He was spotless, he was sinless, so resurrection, he's a pure spotless lamb of God, crucified before foundations of the world. We would just easily say, that's him. Mm -hmm. When we spoke about legalism and we've seen how Jesus lived his life 
And they tried to get him and they had these stuff in the Sabbath, like heal people. And he says, hey, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. The Sabbath was made for man, they man for Sabbath. And he still healed people on the Sabbath weekend. That's legalism had nothing yeah. on our Savior. Yeah. And our Paul is doing his saying, and Christ, we can have the Addies. Mm-hmm. But it's us. It's him. Mm-hmm. He's the one, he's, he's already did it 2,000 years ago. And then you get a few words, I like this, that <coughs> it's a, do you not know, he's wanting us to know these things. This is your saviour. This is fire baptised, isn't it? This is Jesus. He's the free one. And as we enter into him in a love relationship, we will experience these things. And there was a word there I picked up on in, in my translation. It was reckon. Reckon yourself. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead. Indeed, to sin. So I think if Christ is this, that the past tense was crucified, well, if that's Christ, I reckon myself to be dead to sin. If my saviour overcome the power of sin and was spotless, I can reckon myself and Christ to be free from the power of sin. I reckon it. If my saviour, legalism didn't hang hang on him and he was just married to his father and he had a love relationship with him, he only did the things his father did, then fit of I to do. I have to reckon myself and Christ is in the same love relationship I've got with my heavenly daddy as he did. The first foundational step to freedom, just reckon yourself, yeah. consider yourself. Yeah. And uh, I've missed that a lot uh-huh. because I've tried again my victory yeah. in Jesus, uh-huh. thinking if I do the right thing, mm-hmm. then one day I'll walk him up. And I'll say, that's it. Mm-hmm. I've got victory. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul is sharing through Romans, the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and you have already got victory. That's a starting point, near destination. There's only a lot really matters. Because you might say, okay, that's just like a good bunch of worms there. Yeah? <laughs> that's really, really fine. Fair's the reality. To give you something to work a lot here. This is a foundation, this is coming away from justification and sanctification, living free for Jesus. And we need to care that Christ has, all the past tense stuff, being crucified, being set free, being delivered, he did all that for you so you could get the good stuff. Newness of life. For you free today, it says, live for God. You're free to live for God. At any time, no matter what you have done, you are free to live for God. Do you believe that? You have to reckon it. You have just to consider yourself free to live for God. Ah, oh, but last night I did that. This morning I did that. So if you do now, there is no excuse to live for God right now. You have just to consider yourself, reckon it, that I can, because Jesus... 
A man have, he's already done it. Wrecking yourself free to live from God. You're free. There's nothing there God can do in Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, baptize you. And Abraham, you're immersed in Christ. The victory that he won is yours. The problem is, sometimes we think freedom is to be worked towards and achieve. Victory is to be worked towards and achieve. And then victory, this is our starting point. Baby Christian. And then discipleship. And then, what are we doing for time? Football almost started. Four minutes, you like it? <laughs> and then, <laughs> victory in Jesus. And we think, if only I could sing that song, victory in Jesus, and mean it. Because it's a, we, we see it as a destination, we're working towards it. We're praying, we're turning up to church, and we're tithing, and we're doing good things. And maybe I'll just feel victorious one day. And God says us, victory at the start. Consider yourself victorious in Christ at the very, very start, as soon as you get saved. You did not work towards victory. You've already got it. Does that make any difference? Well, it does. Because Mina's Abel has already bought accommodation in Tenerife. And we're looking. Yeah, that's not good. So we're looking to get flights. And we're looking to get flights, and it goes forever to London, London. Tenerife, the suicide of Tenerife, okay? So, we're looking at book flights. Would it make any difference if I got the arrival, the departure, and the arrival places mixed up? So if I turned up to Aberdeen, and I had booked a ticket, and said, oh, sorry, Isabel, we're actually supposed to be in Tenerife. We're playing leaves for Tenerife to get to Aberdeen just now. I've just flipped the room the wrong way. Do you think it'll just be like, Oh, well, that's all right. Just not really matter. Do you think that's a big deal? That's a big deal. That's got a lot of confusion. <laughs> if I say, look, I don't think I take it for Aberdeen to Tenerife. We leave for Tenerife to Aberdeen just now and ten days later. We're supposed to be going for Tenerife to Aberdeen. I've actually got a flight to Aberdeen to Tenerife. Confusion, chaos, muddled. That is for millions of Christians are living with. They're confused, they're in chaos, and they're muddled because victory, the best-selling books, Freedom in Christ, I've obtained it, five keys, work towards it. You think it's a destination, and God has given them a gift at the start. We have to reckon ourselves what does victory look like? If you realise you're free to live for Jesus, you will pray because you know you're victorious. Amen. You're not trying to get any fast for 40 days to get some freedom out of and God says, reckon yourself free. Think about it. Thank you, Jesus. Think about it. Reckon yourself free. Yeah. Victory, and then you put new life. Holiness. Is a fruit of the finished work of Jesus. Mary said, I'm going to put a pause and then in two weeks we will maybe come back up. I was listening to a sermon because I had a little bit brought up, I suppose, about the deliverance ministry, things like that, okay? 
people need help, people need prayer. But I was listening to a sermon, um, Major Ian, I can't his last name, wrote a really famous book, The Saving Life of Christ, one of the best books I've ever read. And listen to that sermon, and it, it was just titled this. And I'll leave us with is. Becoming the Christian you are. Really interesting. And it, I think the sermon lived up to the title, to be fair. But I really, if not, just meditated on that. The Hell Deliverance Ministry. We're trying to see our brothers and sisters become the Christian that they already are. God sees them as free. They're already free. They get tunneled up. You pray with them. To become the Christian they already are. In reality. The reality is they're free. They've got new life. The experience might differ. You pray for somebody. Neither they'll rely on your prayers and your ministry. But you just rely on the grace and the light of the Holy Spirit. That God would shine a light and say. Hey become the Christian. You already are. In God's eyes. And that's hell sanctification process. If I were becoming, we're becoming like Jesus. Yeah. But as a foundation, we are becoming the Christian we already are. Mm-hmm. It's just being worked out. Mm-hmm. Does that mark some yeah. Jesus light sense? Yes. Gotta pray. Mm-hmm. Jesus will rely on you. Mm-hmm. And it's your gospel. And God Peter says that you give him a revelation that you are the Messiah. And Finney declared that Jesus, you said, this could only be given. The revelation, their man's wisdom. And God, we know that you're the only one that can reveal you. And God, as we have shared your word in some stories, God, we ask that it would be revelation and not just information, that only you could reveal you. And before we leave, we pray that you would shine your light on your word. And we just ask, God, for a revelation of how you are, what you've done. And before we go off of here, we pray for the rest. Lord Jesus Christ says in Hebrews that the Jewish nation never entered your rest when there was in the wilderness through unbelief. They didn't reckon themselves already victorious. And so they battled and they were defeated and they left strongholds and eventually put up a shire poles and they got into all sorts of chaos and muddled because they just didn't reckon themselves to be for you. It called them to be. And so we'll leave entering into the very rest, O Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you didn't end there, but you promised us new life through resurrection power. Be with your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.